and welcome to How We Live Online. I'm Christina. I'm Joanna. And today we have Rachel Monroe on. Hi. Hello. So Rachel is a writer for, are you a staff writer now for The New Yorker? I'm a contributing writer. Okay. What's the difference? (laughs) It's really just, it's like a complicated contractual uh, situation, but they're basically the same thing. Okay, cool. Yeah, so you can introduce yourself. Sure. I'm a uh, writer for The New Yorker. I'm based in Texas, and I wrote a book a couple years ago called Savage Appetites, which is about, I think of it as like meta true crime, like why are people, why are women in particular so obsessed with true crime? Cool. Yeah. And we, and I um, interviewed you a few in 2019 about that book for my college arts and culture paper. And I just re-listened to that. And I, (laughs) um, I, I think it was one of the first interviews I did and it was very funny to listen to. Um, You're braver than me for listening back to old interviews. I like cannot handle it, but I think it's good to do, but I'm not tough enough. So it was hard to hear. It was hard to hear, (laughs) but also really funny. I don't know. So I'm glad that you came back. I'm glad I wasn't too sheepish. I I was listening to it and all I was doing was, um, so, um, (laughs) I remember when I was in college, I, uh, for our college radio station, um, George Saunders came to give a reading and a friend of mine and I, we interviewed him for the college radio station and my grandmother listened to it and she emailed me and she was like, Hmm, he seems like an interesting man, but you really need to like, stop laughing while you're doing interviews. She's like a strong Scorpio. And I was like, damn grandma. Okay. (laughs) And it still like echoes in my mind. Just nervously interviewing. No nervous laughter. (laughs) What if they don't think they're funny? I mean, he is funny. I don't know. I haven't listened back to it because I'm too terrified. (laughs) Apparently grandma didn't approve. Yeah. At least she gave you good feedback. Sometimes I wonder if it was a smart decision to archive our voices and our thought processes on Spotify. Will we regret it one day? Who knows? We end every episode by saying, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it'll be easier for them to make the AI model of your voices. I have been thinking about that. (laughs) (laughs) It's too late for us all. Christina has not thought about that until this moment. I can see it in her face. No, I didn't. But I have thought about that AI Drake song. Have you heard it? it. It's Colby Calais' Bubbly. (laughs) (laughs) But but Drake is singing it. It's good. <laughs> um, but we can get into the episode now, I guess. So we're gonna. So you're essentially, at least in my head, an expert on meta true crime because you wrote this book about it and you did years of research. Um, and I feel like since the last time we talked, at that point in time, there was so much about true crime and murder stories. And particularly, you know, girls or young women um, as victims to these like really drastic, spectacular kind of, you know, negative connotation crimes. Um, And then since then, there's been this kind of pivot from, at least in my observation, that kind of same crowd is now really interested in scammers. Um, and that's just a completely different kind of true crime because the the first one is more interested in the victims or the goriness of the crime or the detail, like the specific gross details of, you know, the narrative of the crime. And then this like new kind of scamming interest, like, and I'm I'm mostly basing this off, off of what I know my friends are watching, what like my mom's friends are watching, what she's watching, what is on Netflix. Um, Now there's this pivot towards scammers. And I'm curious if you like want to have clocked that and if you are thinking through it or interest, I don't know, what what do you make of that shift? Yeah, I think I definitely have clocked it. I think it's hard not to clock. Um, And 
I think there are probably a few things going on. I mean, on one level, it's funny. I remember talking to various people, like development people who people involved in making true crime TV shows and limited series and stuff after my book came out and hearing back then, you know, that they were, they intentionally wanted to move away from murder. Like that was sort of a thing going Mm -hmm. on in the industry, which I guess we're seeing like the products of that now. And I guess that's probably partly driven by some of the critique of these murder stories, you know, that it was exploitative, that they were censoring, you know, these like not representative stories of like, oh, another pretty white girl got murdered. Um, And also I think they were running out of stories. Um, I talked to a a guy who like had a pretty big true crime podcast that was um, supported by one of the big cable channels. And he told me they had like an explicit um, mandate. They were supposed to find like every week, maybe it was multiple times a week. They had to cover a crime. It had to be like since the year 2000, it had to have a woman as like the victim or the perpetrator. And it had to have like at least three twists or something. And he was just like, we ran out of there. There are not enough murders that are that, that is not what, that is not like in any way, the typical murder. And actually crime rates are like, and violent crime rates are down. And so this sort of the, the appetite for the stories wasn't keeping up with like the actuality of like what is happening in the world. Um, So I think it was like both kind of a defensive move to um, stave off critique and a kind of needing new forms of drama when, you know, the murderers, out there like weren't you know murdering in the right way or murdering the right people they weren't murdering you know with direct narratives and i think there's probably like there's there's so that's maybe from the production side why did this happen and then there's probably more to say too about like for us as consumers like why is this why is scammer content so interesting and one of my theories at least i'd be interested to hear what y'all think is that just so much of the way that the way that we live online uh, <laughs> has to do with like we're all you know pushed to kind of sell ourselves and you know create a vision of ourselves and our lives and how we're doing that's like kind of aspirational and like we all know that it's a little bit bullshit but we kind of have to do it anyway and so there's and everybody and like you know hustle culture is kind of driving everybody to fake it till they make it and to you know make your life seem like a way that it isn't entirely and so i think that preoccupation with with authenticity and with selling the self um is something that just everybody's kind of bumping up against every day and the and the scammer stories are like this more this bigger, more dramatic, more exciting, more shameless version of what a lot of us like feel internal and external pressure to do anyway. And so it's like interesting to engage with in that way. Yeah. I think the scammer content almost like scratches a deep bootstrapping propaganda mindset in all of us. Like we feel we don't have to be unfair or cheat people out of money to be successful, right? So in a way, mm. it's like self-gratification to watch content of people who did it the wrong way. I don't know. I think it could be one thing. And especially like how you're saying about like hustle culture, right? It's almost like the, it's like an interesting intertwining of like hustling, but also like you're just doing it in the wrong way. And I'm doing it the right way, the old American way. <laughs> I react so oppositely to that. I feel like we, I feel, well, at least maybe it's just the way I watch them. Mm-hmm. Like when I watch Anna Delvey in her trial or when I watch the Netflix version of it, I'm like, I could name three three of my friends who could do this. Yeah. If they set their mind to it. Yeah. Who could, and and part, and I, well, okay, maybe. Maybe part of me is like, and I, I, I guess I would feel too bad. I guess I would feel too bad. But I'm also like, 
could I just walk into a hotel in the right outfit with the right attitude? I think it depends on the scam. Because I think Anna Delvey's scam is a lot different than like the Tinder swindler's scam. Yeah. Like (laughs) (laughs) Anna Delvey hurt like, and I I might be getting the story wrong. She hurt like big institutions. (laughs) Yeah. The Tinder swindler hurt like grandmothers and like people. I know. I think, I don't know. I, but yeah, I, I feel like I didn't make that exact connection that you spelled out very well, which is, is that we are so preoccupied with authenticity and how we're presenting and like the personas that we're presenting. Um, and then we have these stories of people who are choosing to be frauds in real life and they, and they can make a life for it. Like Anna Delvey was seen out of jail or like before she went to, I, I can't remember. Anyway, she was like at some party that Caroline Calloway was at or something like that. Of course. And I was like, Caroline Calloway is from Northern Virginia. And I was like, I could be there in another life. I could be there. <laughs> but do you think it's even a good party? No. I mean, it's interesting too, because I think about people like, like Elon Musk I think you could make the case that if things had sort of like bent a slightly different way for him, he, we would be looking at him as like a big scammer. Like so much of the, the Tesla, the, you know, the, the things that he would come out with and say like Tesla has done this or is doing this, um, were just like completely made up. I don't know if there's like an amazing story about them. I can't remember if it was the self-driving car or what anyway, like doing some demo being like, look what we've done. And it was like, actually like a guy, like secretly in the car, like walking it around. It wasn't driving, you know, like he's he's over and over again, just kind of straightforwardly saying like, yes, we have hit this metric. Yes. Like this technology is there when it's not. And it's just, he's able to sort of like his, his momentum is such that he like can almost like catch up with himself and and the stock price keeps going up. So it's like not a scam yet, but it could have been, you know, it could have all fallen apart and it still might, you know? And so mm-hmm. I think we're surrounded by these people who are like teetering on the edge. I don't know if it's always so clear as like the people committing fraud and the people just kind of hustling. I think there's like big gray area there. Which is makes it interesting, right? Like murder is kind of pretty clear cut, you know, like you're a murderer, you're not a murderer, but hustle mm-hmm. world, it's 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 just it's murkier, murkier, which is more interesting, I think. I want to back up a little bit because like one, I told my mom I was so excited to record this episode. And <laughs> she like has no touch point for like true crime as a genre. Like, that is not something that, like, makes sense to her. What does she watch? <laughs> she watches the news, which is so funny because true crime's like, I mean, obviously there's true crime on the news. And true crime, I think a lot of people say, like, is a subgenre of the news. But I guess if, if the, for the listeners out there who do not have a touch point for how big true crime is, um, do you think you could explain a little bit about, like, true crime, true crime communities, um, and then also, you know, your experience with true crime and how uh, your relationship to it has sort of evolved over time. Totally. Yeah. I mean, it's it's gone through a big change, I think. You know, one thing that I always say is like, people will talk about there being a true crime boom. And and sometimes I like to kind of deflate that a little bit and be like, you know, as long as as humans have been interested, have had like a kind of mass media, we have been obsessed with these crime stories. Like that's just kind of seems to be part of our human psyche is like this fascination with darkness and taboo and violence and, you know, aberrant actions, like often, you know, violence like tinged with sex in some way. Like we, we love that, whether that's like a, you know, an 18th century confession, murderer's confession pamphlet, or, you know, a podcast. Um, But at the same time, I do think that there's like, there is something happening now that's really new and interesting, which is that these crime stories, it seems to me like 
because of the internet for the first time, these stories aren't just like something that we consume passively, but there's this like ability to participate this like participatory mm -hmm. true crime thing um, is new and weird and having all sorts of like strange effects on the world and people. And so there's, you know, you're right. There's like a lot of true crime that's like on the news when those uh, college students got murdered in Idaho, like that was covered a lot by cable news and non-cable news. Um, but then at the same time you have, so you have that kind of mainstream straightforward interpretation of a story. Then you'll have the various like cable channels doing their version of, of that story and various other stories. And then you have this whole world of like amateur true crime content that's that's happening out there ranging from the from podcasts to really like insanely dramatic facebook groups um you know reddit tiktok you know like gabby petita that uh the young woman who was missing and then was found killed and then boyfriend disappeared and then that i mean that was like you know, I think like a billion TikToks or something like some, I think it might literally be a billion TikToks were made out of it. I could yeah. be wrong about that, but I, that number is in my head for some reason. Um, so you have people kind of, these stories are move beyond the kind of traditional institutions of like, you get your information from, you know, the media and law enforcement. And now it's just like random people sharing thoughts, sharing theories, sharing clues, conducting investigations, and it can go, you know, it's interesting. I'm like writing a piece about the true crime community right now. So you guys have caught me at the perfect time. And Oh, yay. <laughs> and it can go in this, it can like, in some ways, I think, you know, you've got to like, give some credit, I guess, like you often have, there are instances where people online have like taken up cold cases that like law enforcement dropped the ball, couldn't do it, didn't care, whatever, who knows, like case never got solved. And then like some online sleuths become obsessed with it and then like make a podcast, find, you know, like identify culprits on web sleuths or something. And then, and the case will get solved. Like that has happened on occasion but what is like much more common than that is like people online just really like losing their minds and just thinking you know like coming up with these wild theories and digging into people's lives and um just kind of really you can like you can really like harass and harass somebody that you know the internet has decided is like a suspect in a crime um, for no good reason um, and driving them, you know, just, just really kind of ruining their lives in some cases. And so this like participatory aspect of it, I think is like new and law enforcement like doesn't know what to do with it. And um, I think there are just no checks and balances and like the algorithms reward a certain amount of like, conspiratorial thinking, you know? Um, and so that stuff just tends to like really get a lot of engagement. Um, and so I don't think it's ending anytime soon. One thing I think about with the algorithm, so I'm a data scientist, so I, I mm. really like to think about algorithms. And as I mentioned, I'm always thinking about how the AI is going to uh, steal my personhood from me. <laughs> um, <laughs> but one thing that I think about a lot is how algorithms are not good at operationalizing the feelings that people have. The mm -hmm. algorithm can only learn from like the interactions you have on your phone, right? So like watch time, right? Is watch time me being interested in content? Is it me being compelled by content? Is it me rubbernecking in a way? You know, the algorithm has no idea, but that's how it builds itself, right? That's how it learns off of just that one thing or a like, right? Like, what do those things actually mean? Like, how does that make me feel? 
And I really wonder like how that affects us, right? Because <laughs> you could build a feed um, that makes you laugh, right? If you spend more time watching things you laugh, that you laugh at, um, then that's what your feed has. Um, or you could build a feed that makes you anxious because you spend a lot of time watching things that make you anxious and you can't stop watching them. And then that's what your feed looks like. And I think it's really interesting, especially, you know, at the top, you talked about the the supply and demand, right? The production companies feeding this. It's just so interesting to me how like I, on social media, the production is just so different and it's driven by these algorithms, right? As opposed to like you said, you know, four guys can get together in a room and say like, hey, we're going to go with scammers now. But then on TikTok, it can be, hey, we're going to, you know, whatever people's deepest, darkest anxieties are, that's what they're going to watch for a long time. And that's when it's going to go to the top. I think it's like the true crime in that way is like so um, dangerously suited to at least the algorithms that we have now, those, these kind of blunt algorithms that like reward engagement and attention where it's just like, you're, you're often sort of like, what that curiosity, like what happened, who did it, that very basic, you know, like I, I want to know that answer to the puzzle, it like the mystery, like it, it pulls on that. And at the same time, like you're saying it like stokes anxiety, you know, it's like a scary thing happened. And I think, you know, the reason that like a feed that prioritizes like laughing and good jokes is in some ways, like, a less successful feed is because you, you know, like you like read 10 good jokes and then you have your chuckle and then you can like go make dinner. You can turn away from it. Right. But a feed that like makes you anxious is like, there's this always this drive for like more, it sort of stokes the thing that it like promises to assuage, but it never does quite. And so you just need like more and more, like I need more information. I need more. I've been like, uh, <laughs> There were, there were the like recent one where that there was like the man who killed his wife and her daughters in Oklahoma. And then the girls who went over for, do you, you guys have given me a blank face? No, I don't know who you're talking about. I feel like the last like murder I knew about was the Murdaugh murders. Oh yeah. Um, because I, mean, I know someone who knows one of them, which is well. strange. Um, so then I was in kind of that rabbit hole, but what happened in Oklahoma? It's just really creepy. Like this woman married a guy who was a convicted sex offender. And then they, it turned, it seems like he shot her and like her two daughters who were teenagers and, and the daughters had like invited maybe her son too. And then the daughters had invited other, their friends over and he, I, whatever, like it just seemed like a lot of awful things happen there. Mm. And one of the there's like a reporter there who's like tweeting about it and I just keep you know like I don't like what am I what do I th think I'm actually gonna find like what am I why do I keep like refreshing her tweets but I just like I kind of can't um stop and so the algorithm I don't even think I follow her but it's like Twitter keeps like giving giving them to me and I'm like oh I wonder I wonder what's happened um and so in that way it's like and again, it's not it's not every story of a crime works that way. It's like these ones that are like particular have this element of like extra, you know, like sickness or where yeah, the violence and the violence and sex are somehow like entwined or there's like a mystery or it's somehow, you know, like atypical in some ways. Like those are the stories that get told over and over again and even stories that are like maybe relatively simple people who have totally wild irrational theories about them like the algorithm likes that you know more than like the kind of banal reality um and so that's why you know and you can see it on tiktok like the people who just have wild theories will um will just they'll circulate it makes me think of i well I guess the like writer slash person interested in stories in me is understanding that need to know more as narrativizing, as wanting to know like 
what are the, like, these people aren't people to me. So they're characters. So what do these characters want? Why do they want those things? What would motivate this person to kill the victim over this other person? Um, So there's like that line of inquiry, that curiosity. And then it's also such a good format for TikTok where the things that get engagement are things that not just things that you watch, but things that you like and that you comment on. Like the TikTok algorithm also really boosts things that have a lot of comments. So when you post something that makes people guess what's going to happen next, the comments are going to be filled with guesses. And then also you, as the creator of that TikTok, now get to post five more with follow-ups. And then those get put back on that for you page for the viewers who didn't even follow you to come back and see it. And then there's also that... Twitter has a for you page now, which is so frustrating. Um, and I hate going on Twitter now. I used to love Twitter, um, which is a funny thing to say, but I like never look at it anymore. So I think like true crime stories are a way, like are are firstly something that is a story to people because it's it's not true. I mean, like it is true, but it just doesn't feel true unless you're you actually know those people. And then also it's just such a great, it's unfortunately just such a great format of a story for something like TikTok or, and then, and then thirdly, it incentivizes the viewer to become part of the story. Like once you are invested enough to have a theory about it, there's a possibility where like, if you're right, you are the person who solved the mystery. Totally. And I think in a funny way, like sometimes when I have, when I have like become momentarily snagged by one of these cases and like, you know, I'll like find the victim's Instagram and then you find like her ex-boyfriend's Instagram. And then you're like, I wonder who he's dating now, you know? And like this, that kind of, that, that kind of digging or like, what are the old Facebook posts who was friends with who who's commenting on who and it starts to feel like to me it's like the same impulse like when you're dating somebody new and you start doing the same kind of like digging and stalking and mapping and maybe not everybody does this but it's I'm like an investigator (laughs) at heart and so like I have to forcefully stop myself from doing it uh if it's a person that I really want to get to know in a normal human way but um (laughs) I think it's like that that kind of like researching, mapping, clue finding impulse that's like really the internet like is a dangerous place if you have that uh, desire to dig. Um, true crime is like a way to sort of pretend that you're doing, to indulge that same desire, but you're like, no, I'm doing it to like, I'm doing it for the victim. I'm doing it to like solve the crime. You get to kind of cast yourself rather than being like a creepy stalker who's like, you know, learning way too much about somebody's life that you like, don't really have any right to know. You're like, you're doing it like to get justice, you know? And so instead of feeling creepy, you feel heroic. Um, and I think that's definitely part of, uh, part of what's going on when the when when you see the people kind of doing this like late night really extensive researching yeah this is a thought I'm having right now so it might not make any sense but um I mean the other thing that the behavior hinges on right is the belief or the the truth that the truth lives online that the answer is something I would have access to and this is also true for like any like the the example of stalking someone you just started seeing right that like the answers to their person everything about them is online and i can exactly build who they are by like these artifacts put together in my narrative but what's really interesting too like you know in the legal system i think the idea of truth is also kind of hazy right because for convictions what is said in the courtroom is often, and I'm not a lawyer, I don't know, but what's said in the courtroom is like, what's going to get a conviction, right? Like you're also building a case and building a, uh, it's, it's not a story, but it is a story in some ways, right? Like yeah. you have evidence, but you're also building a narrative 
to get the outcome you want. I just wonder, like, yeah, how, what do you think about, you know, true crime and our idea of truth? And I guess there's like, you know, a bone in our body to like reconcile those things. But I don't know, it, it seems a little bit like it's not out there. Yeah. And I think that's part of, I mean, to me, the, one of the things that makes um, a subject feel like what makes it compelling to obsess about is like the feeling that there isn't sort of an, an answer or, you know, the, the loop stays open. It doesn't close. And I think the fact that our, our justice system, you know, works that way, it is this like adversarial system where yeah, you have to like build a narrative that kind of, gets to the outcome that you, the prosecutor or the defense wants means that you're like necessarily leaving things out. And I think that's like, that is, if you're a, a viewer, um, a consumer of these things, like it feels frustrating because part of you knows you're like, that's not, that's not the real story. That's not the full, that's like an incomplete story. And when something feels incomplete, there's that desire where like, I'm going to, I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to close the loop. And that's where part of that, like, that need to find more comes from, I think. And I think you're so right that it's this, we do have this sense that like all information lives lives on the internet. You know, I think it's just so used to having like everything available to us. And so that's also like a weird a thing that is funny about true crime. It's just this like, I wonder if we've like become less tolerant like less able to kind of tolerate the idea that like we may never know you know like that's it, it, if you think about like living a hundred years ago there would be so many things that you would just be like most things in life you'd, you'd be like I wonder who that is huh I guess I'll never know you know like I wonder who owns that field you know <laughs> what like whatever like any million of things like most things that you would want to know you could never know and now it really feels like most things that you want to know you can know right away. And so when it's like an unsolved mystery, we just like, don't, we, we have like not built up like the stress tolerance or something of like, you know, what is it to, to not have the answer? Um, and I think that's partly why you'll see in some of these, um, in some of these cases that go super big and super viral, this phenomenon, I think of it as people being like, law and order pilled or something where like, like in that Idaho murders case, like people would just fixate on the first three people who were interviewed on the news about it, because that's what would happen in an episode of SVU, right? It's like somebody who you are introduced to in the first 15 minutes, like one of them is the killer. <laughs> and so it would be like, and of course, you know, it ended up being somebody who was not like nobody on nobody's radar at all but these like people online would fixate on you know like this poor stupid neighbor like gave an interview and everybody was like his eyes or he has dead eyes you know like why you know and you're just like he's just some idiot who lived next door like what or you know the guy at the food truck the guy in the hoodie you know you're just like it's not like we're not watching a tv show with a finite cast like it could have been literally anybody and it it's so often in these cases people like pick a pet suspect um because you know of course it has to be you know one of these 10 people who are like the one of the 10 cast of characters and it's like no it's not it's it's not yeah because in a story we're primed you know to like we we get those easter eggs like in a, in a law and order or even in like something um even like in a scripted true crime series or something I feel like we they're often set up so that we at least get a not a hint but we can like track back and see like oh like there's this circular circular narrative happening here like I should have been paying more attention to the beginning um when yeah that if there's not a finite amount of people it could have been um yeah and we're so used to being primed I really like the book I think it's a very flawed book, but the um, the Michelle McNamara book about the Golden State Killer, I'll Be Gone in the Dark, is really interesting because she like she died, so she didn't get to finish it, and it got published right before they identified the guy who actually did those crimes. And so most of that book 
is so it's not it would be such a different book if it had been written it after he was identified because then I think it would be written exactly like you're saying like the the kind of narrative we've come to expect where like we're 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 kind of being given these breadcrumbs that we follow along and that we're like ah yes it was there all along like the the clues were there but instead she just is going on all of these tangents that don't actually mean anything that are completely wrong um which is i think much more like reality mm-hmm. um, where you'll just become obsessed with something that you really feel is right and vital and it's like no it's not um, so there's the the way that book is like really unsatisfying and flawed, I think is actually what's what's cool about it. And I'm glad, I mean, I'm not glad she died. I think that's terrible, but I'm I'm kind of glad that it exists in this strange, strange way that it does. Yeah, we it would be a it would be like three drafts ahead. Like we're mm-hmm. we get it at such a like new time or like I don't know infant kind of yeah all of those like wrong ideas and raw like uh, everything about that was like would be kind of like buffed out you know and instead it's mostly wrong mm-hmm. um yeah and we which is real. and you said the word unsatisfying and I'm finishing my I just finished my MFA um and so we're like in my brain I'm just like the ending is earned the ending is satisfying you know and that's just something that everyone wants out of a story and I feel like the true crime the true and true crime is that like maybe that's not the case you know like I've been thinking about um Alice Sebold's Lucky and The Lovely Bones because I reread The Lovely Bones last summer and then in the past year um the man who so for, for anyone who doesn't know what I'm talking about, Alice Bold is um, a writer and she wrote this memoir called Lucky about um, her being raped by a stranger in, I think she was in New York or something. Um, and, and I didn't really get through it because it's like really hard to read. And then her, the, the, the man was that she picked out of the lineup was convicted and he was in jail for an extremely long time. And then she also wrote the, Um, book The Lovely Bones which is also a movie with Saoirse Ronan in it Um, and it just came out that the man that she picked out of the lineup Alice Bold is white the man that she picked um, is black I I forget his name Um, but it was not him and so that's extremely complicated and sad and like devastating there's this total like loss of this guy's life essentially um because he was wrongfully convicted and then there's this interesting one-to-one that people can do who have read lucky and who have read the lovely bones where like you see that the real story of lucky is that you think that this man has been convicted um and he's been put to jail and then in like early in like around 2020 you find out that oh that's actually not the case and it's a much sadder story um, and then in the Lovely Bones, which is a piece of fiction, the um, the guy dies, or they catch him, or oh my god, I already forgot. But anyway, the the ending of that book is like expected, and and more satisfying because it is a piece of fiction, and justice is served, and the main character who lost her sister gets to like connect with her sister in this like spiritual way or whatever. And I don't really know what I'm saying other than like to make that one-to-one, you can see the piece of fiction has this, this ending that allows the main character to make that connection. And then the like real story, the memoir, you think the book is over and it's done and then time passes and actually the story is completely different. Um, And all of that is to say, I guess, that like true crime is also something that is going to change as you gain more information right and and the desire for like quote-unquote closure right and even in like I guess which is so complicated you know knowing the truth as as you all have been saying like whether 
any truth that we can know feels like complete or satisfying. But even then, even if like the, you know, the right person gets convicted, you know, like we're, we're sort of like the, the best, I guess, closure that, that we have um, is like offering somebody up to a criminal justice system that, you know, we all know is like deeply flawed. And so it sort of makes sense to me that like in her novel, she would like, which I had read a long time ago and I don't remember at all, but like she, of course, you know, like you kill the guy off because some like somehow that's like more satisfying because you don't have to deal with the, you know, like what the, like kind of offering him up to this really messed up system. And then like even worse in the, like what actually happened, which is like, it wasn't even the right guy. So just kind of underlines how, how that's such a like kind of bankrupt or, fundamentally unsatisfying um version of like closure but it's sort of the best that we have to offer people i guess in, in a world such as ours which makes me wonder like for the people who are so like in that rabbit hole let's say you do find the right person like then what right yeah exactly i mean i think you know, it's interesting listening to some of the true crime podcasts. It's like, can be very, you know, rah, rah, lock him up forever. That's, you know, I think a very common refrain in these, you know, people should be locked up forever, get the death penalty, you know, they should fry. Like that sort of starts to feel like that's the only acceptable outcome because anything else, you know, any other ending is like too, too complex or too like... I don't know. doesn't feel right. That's like the clean ending, allegedly. Yeah. And then there are also the, um, you know, the true crime stories like Serial or Making a Murder, Murderer, which are about exoneration right. or wrongful convictions or trying to prove that where the opposite is true. Like if you're somebody in the community who says, well, I'm not sure, maybe they did do it. Then you're like, oh, how could you say that? Um, I know I haven't followed serial super closely, but for the period that I did, I was like, I think Adnan did it, which is really, you're not supposed to think that, but (laughs) I don't know. And a lot of these cases, like in a lot of these cases, it's just like, I guess my repeated thought is like, it's often the most simple thing in the world. It's like the boyfriend did do it. The husband did do it. Somebody can seem like a nice guy and still killed their romantic partner. Um, but I haven't, I haven't uh, followed it that closely. So I will defer to other people who know that case a lot better than me. Sharing unpopular opinions. <laughs> <laughs> I think too, like, I, I don't know. I'm trying to reflect now when I was thinking about this episode. I think Serial was probably the first true crime story I really got into. I was an early adopter of podcasts, y'all. I was listening to podcasts in like 2007. On my iPod Nano. You're like in middle school? Yes. And they were. No, you were in elementary school in 2007. Okay. I don't know the years, but it was 2007. <laughs> like, as and you were listening to murder podcast? Not murder podcast. Okay. No, no, no. Serial? <laughs> like, not serial. Or Whenever, no, no, no. They had like Mystery Science Theater 3000. Oh, okay. Like, like stuff for kids <laughs> in podcast form. And I was like, oh. <laughs> Anyways, that's a digression. Um, <laughs> I I think I listened to Serial like right when it came out. It was 20. I just looked it up for my piece that I'm writing. 2014. Okay. 2014. Yes. So then I would have been in high school. And I can clearly remember like walking around like where I was when I was listening to it and like, you know, experiencing the story and like the twists and turns. Um, and then I've gone back and listened to it a few times. And my conclusion at at the beginning, right, when I didn't, I mean, I didn't go on Reddit or like any other outside community. All I had was Sarah Koenig giving me the gospel, um, which was that Adon didn't do it. And I re-listened to it maybe two or three times since. And what's interesting is that I think, I don't know if most people were like me. And at first, you know, they you know, lapped up the story they were given. And then later, when you have a little bit more like online sleuthing capacity, people develop other theories. Or when 
just simply different people tell the story, right? Um, who aren't giving as favorable of an opinion and people gravitate more towards evidence that was le- left out of serial um, and they come up with other conclusions. But yeah, I also like, I don't remember a lot about the case. So I, I don't know. I don't have an opinion either way. And I honestly am not sure what where that case is at this point, because I know he he was released, but it was really terrible. Like um, Heyman Lee's family didn't know that he was getting released and they weren't able to like get into town to give a statement in person in time. And they like had to they were basically forced to like give a statement over Zoom or they like couldn't give it over Zoom. And I think they've appealed. So I'm not sure where that is right now, but definitely messy. Yeah. I mean, and I remember I've kind of come to feel like, well, I sort of feel of two minds, like as a consumer of entertainment, I think that Serial by releasing this podcast. I mean, it was, it was also, maybe there are other examples of it, but it's like the first thing I can think of where an investigation is happening in real time. Like usually, even if you wrote the piece or, or did the documentary kind of as if it was happening in real time, no, you would like, you would have sort of gotten to an ending point and then constructed it, you know, so it would be this kind of false sense, this like, you know, constructed feeling of, you know, this is happening now, but it wouldn't be, but idea, it's so compelling, right. To be like, this is, this is, the story doesn't have an ending. I'm like, I'm getting to the ending with her and it's, and it's done well and it's done thoughtfully but like since then for the piece that I'm working on like I listened to a 15-part podcast with a guy who's kind of who's a journalist who's 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 trying to do a similar serial thing there's found a woman who it's always these like men finding missing women and then like trying to build a career off of it but uh this guy's really nice um and a good journalist and he does this sort of 15-part podcast where he's like, what happened to her? Um, She never, you know, 1993 or whatever, she never shows up for her kid's birthday party. And he's like, here's all this gossip about the ex-boyfriend. And he's like, the ex-boyfriend's like, won't talk to him. And, you know, and then here's these gossip about these other people. And he's just sort of like repeating all of this gossip and all these people start to like seem really suspicious and then it's like you know justification to dig into all of these people's lives and you know all those shady things that they've done and and everybody you know like everybody that they've ever known like saying what seems creepy about them and then and while listening to this I knew but he didn't know while he was making the podcast that this like this had ended he made his 15 episodes, didn't solve it. Two years later, they found the woman's car in a, in a lake. She had basically crashed her car and sunk in the lake and drowned. So like no, no murder. It was not a murder. There was no crime, none of it. And so I was just listening to this like 15 part thing of like, prying into this community, this family, these people's lives, like everything about them, you know, all these like sketchy things. And you're just like, this is so irresponsible. And this is why we like kind of finish an investigation before we decide what to include, because like you can come up with all of this stuff, but it's not really relevant. And that's sort of our job as a journalist is to kind of shape something and not sort of be like, you decide, you know, like, because it, especially when you sort of have the platform as a journalist uh it really if you listen back to it it, he's really making it sound like the ex-boyfriend did it and then you're like gosh this poor ex-boyfriend for 30 years has been like living with this and the lady just got into a car accident you know like none of it none of it was real um yeah so I don't know that format I'm like I'm really at the moment I'm like really down on that as a format, I mean, it's like makes for compelling entertainment, but I think particularly maybe for like crime stuff, it's not cool. Well, because you're fucking with people's grief, you know, like, yeah. and that's should be kind of like this sanctified thing, you know, like, I don't know, that feels very anti-human to me. And also like the 
the fact that, I mean, journalists are the middlemen between the story and the public. Yeah. So there is a, there is obviously ethics to that. There's a responsibility there. And I think when I listened to Serial, so I listened to it like maybe a year or two after it came out. I think I, I didn't realize that she was doing it like as she was, she was recording as she was investigating. I thought that the, it had been produced afterwards. And that just, yeah, I mean, like for entertainment purposes, I guess it gets people to, it like brings a fanfare to the story. Um, but. And the like yeah. wrongful conviction stories are, it's it's like this, the, the fatal flaw of so many of the wrongful conviction stories is they need to sort of be like, my guy didn't do it. This guy did it. And, and like, just way too often, like the, this guy that they point to, like, maybe he didn't do it either. You know, like you just need, it just feels like pretty unfair. And like, you, you shouldn't, you shouldn't do that unless you feel very, very confident. Um, to, you know, that happened with the West Memphis three, you know, like just in all of these cases where they're like, look over there. And you're like, but isn't this what just happened? Isn't that the whole problem? Like, why are you replicating what exactly what just happened? Yeah, we're at we're about at time. Fun talking to you. Guys. I have one last question. Great. And if you can't answer it, that's okay. But this episode is going to come out around like June twelfth. Mm -hmm. Can you share the piece that you're working on? Do you think it'll be out by then? It won't be out by then. Okay. Okay. Probably. But it'll be. It's like I can do. We can do like a teaser trailer. Be like, there's a. There's going to be a. Uh, yeah about about um some online detectives who became very popular solving a bunch of cold cases and then it kind of got turned back on them and then you know then then the true crime community started investigating them <gasps> twist that has all the elements <laughs> i know it really you know somebody should ask <laughs> Well, thank you so much for coming on. This was such a, a great conversation. And I'm glad that we had a true crime, a meta true crime, meta crime in investigator on to talk about it. It really helped me think through some things that I was thinking through. So it's been a great pleasure and benefit to me too. Okay. I'm glad. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. Yeah, and let me know when it's out in the world. Yeah, I will. Oh, first, do you want to plug anything? Just my just my book, Savage Appetites. Buy the book, Savage Appetites, to learn more about the true crime community. Joanna has it right there. I also have mine. Aww. Here it is. Um, okay, so make sure you buy the book and stay tuned for the, I don't know, online sleuth detective story. And yeah, thank you so much for coming on. Bye.